Hey Seekers, welcome back. In today's video, we're going to look at some conceptual crossovers between Sufism, Islamic mysticism, and Jewish mysticism, Kabbalah and Hasidot. Make sure that you stick around to the end of the video where we have some exciting new announcements about the channel. And if you like what we're doing here at the channel, make sure to subscribe, hit that bell for notifications, and share this video with a friend or two. Much appreciated. In this video, we're going to discuss the theological notions pertaining to the unity of God. We're going to talk about the metaphysical ideas of the oneness of being. We're going to talk about the cosmological ideas of the gradations, a great chain of being from God to reality. And finally, we're going to talk about the process of the individual, the human, becoming one with God. I hope I don't lose anyone along the way. Now, before I get some angry fan mail in the comments. In this video, we're specifically talking about comparative metaphysics, theology, and cosmology. There are a lot more of points of crossover between Sufism and Jewish mysticism. There are shared spiritual paths and rituals, dance, music, parables, anecdotes, ethics, psychology, which we are not going to cover in this video. Perhaps in another video. In this video, we're focusing simply on the metaphysics, the theology, the core beliefs that lie at the center of these faith systems. And even within those subjects, I want to get into the real heart of the matter, and we're not going to spend a whole long time talking about the different gradations of being, the different worlds, and different parts of Fimin, Kabbalah, Taskik al-Wujud, the different gradations of being in Sufism. I want to focus on what I see as the core mystical metaphysics of each tradition, which you will see what they are in due time. Patience, my son. The reason why we're cutting straight to the heart Firstly, because this is a short video. Secondly, but more importantly, because in both traditions, there is a belief that all the mystic really wants is the core itself. God in both traditions. In the Hasidic tradition, we will talk about the mystics who will say, that we want God alone. We don't want God's paradise. We don't want his rewards. We don't want spiritual delights and ecstasies and mystical experiences. We want God alone. And similarly, in Sufism, the pure desire for God, God's self, as seen in many anecdotes, one of my favorite is the temptation of Abu Yazid, as recounted in Richard Zainer's Hindu and Muslim mysticism. I'll put a link in the description to that to see those two comparative texts. But both traditions have this very strong drive to reject all else besides for the unity of God, simply. And therefore, we're going to be following along those traditions, and we're going to cut right to the heart of the matter. The first principle in theology is the oneness, the unity of God. In Islam, this is called Tawhid, and in Jewish mysticism and Jewish theology, this is called Achdut Hashem, the oneness of God. In both traditions, the principle of Tawhid or Achdut is the single most important factor of faith for either believer, and in every reckoning, in every theological reckoning of the core beliefs that a Jew or Muslim must attain to, must profess, is the oneness of God. In both traditions, this belief has two components, that God is one and God is unified. Ahad and Wahid in Islam and Echad and Yachid in Judaism. The central proclamations of faith in both Islam and Judaism proclaim this exact principle. In Islam, we have the Shahada, La Ila Ila Allah, there is no God but God, proclaiming the oneness of God. And in Judaism, the central affirmation of faith 
the Shema proclaims as well the oneness and unity of God. In both Islam and Judaism, a finer understanding of this principle means that it is not only other gods and idols and deities which cannot be worshipped, but even the gods that we create, gods of money, status, ego, these things as well are things which detract from the unity of God when they are worshipped. Both traditions have a long history of philosophy and theology where these ideas of unity and oneness are developed, and within both traditions one can track and trace the trajectory of their theologies and philosophies around this core idea of oneness at points in history influencing each other's understanding and helping each other refine and purify their idea of oneness. We're not going to cover history in this video, we did that in a previous video which I'll link in the description, but in this video we're going to stick clearly and strictly to concepts in theology and metaphysics, but um, of course these ideas do not happen in a vacuum and there is a history behind them and I invite you to explore those on your own time. Moving from theology to metaphysics, although in the realm of mysticism these two are highly intertangled, in Islam and Jewish mysticism there is a principle of the oneness of being, the unity of being. Because these are theistic mystical traditions, the oneness of being is described in terms of the oneness in God. What is remarkable is that not only in both of these metaphysical systems do they both profess a monistic or non-dualistic reality, namely that the world's reality in its truest de metaphysical definition is one and unified, but both of them come up with a dual system to explain the multiplicity that we see apparently in reality that would seem to negate a affirmation of the unity of being. Firstly, both systems see two ways of seeing reality, Batin and Zahir, the esoteric and the exoteric, and in Jewish mysticism, the Nigla and the Nistar. And within the Nistar, within the Zahir, there's a further delineation of two states of understanding reality. There is reality as seen from God's eyes view, and there is reality as seen from the human's point of view. In Jewish mysticism, this is referred to as Yichud the higher unity, and Yichud the lower unity. In Sufism, these are referred to as Tanzich and Tashbich. One dealing with God in terms of the absolute, and the other talking about God in terms of the relative. But without getting into too complex of the metaphysics, both traditions affirm that unity of being in Islam, this is called Wahdat al-Wujud, Wujud being being, reality, presence, Wahdat being oneness. And in Judaism we have these principles of Achdut, Yichudilan, Yichuditadi, this higher and lower unity, as we spoke about before, the unity of being. Using Ibn Arabi as our representative Muslim Sufi mystic philosopher, metaphysician, Ibn Arabi says that from the perspective of Tanzikh, from God's perspective, created beings never even smell a whiff of wujud, of being. But according to Ibn Arabi, from the perspective of Tashbih, all things are a self-disclosure of wujud, the Tajali of wujud, or otherwise framed as the self-manifestation of wujud, of being, the zahur of wujud. Likewise, in Jewish mysticism, from the perspective of Yichud from God's perspective, all of existence is ka'ayin ve'efes mamish, is literally nothing and non-existent. However, from the perspective of Yichud we can talk about a unity and a manifestation of God, of being, in the perceived reality. That is why in both traditions we have expressions of 
referring to existence as we see it. As in Arabic, we speak about this reality as huwa, la huwa, he, not he, i.e. God, yet not God. And in Jewish mysticism, we say that things, insofar as they are revealing their divine essence, they are existent and they are God. And insofar as they are not and they are hiding that and covering up on themselves, then they are not he, they are lahua. Both traditions saying with unanimity. It's quite astounding that beyond just these broad metaphysical principles, as we get into the nitty-gritty of metaphysics, we see that both traditions share related and almost parallel traditions, and we're going to speculate at the end of the video why this is. But until we get to that speculation, we're just going to lay out the map as it is, and I hope you see how crazy and exciting this is. It's really crazy, splitting down to the little, little hairs of theology metaphysics, and we're both talking about the same principles. Ibn Arabi concludes a famous section by saying, Glory to him who created all things, being himself their very essence. And likewise, in Jewish mysticism, we have the radical statements that the yesh, the beingness of the created being, is a manifestation of the yesh amiti, of the true being, namely of God. And therefore, when one sees the true nature of reality unveiled and peeled away, stripped away, one sees the divine nature shining through. And this is, again, both traditions. As I kept reading and discovering these crazy similarities, I was just like adding more and more and more to the research, and I gotta stop and cut back at some point because the video was just gonna get too long, but um, this next one just blew my mind. In metaphysics, in Sufism, and in Jewish mysticism, we have these paradoxical languages of the beingness of God, which does not need to be to be because it is so much being. In Sufism, this is called wujud al-wujud, the beingness of being which by its very definition is being so much so, says Ibn Arabi, that it transcends the categories of being and non-being. Likewise, in Jewish mysticism, we speak about the existence, the existence which does not need to exist to exist because it exists so much. Um, and these are just some mind-bending paradoxes that both traditions talk about with incredibly beautiful and rich language. Again, a key metaphysical issue that we find in, in every mystical tradition, if not the key issue, is how do we get from this pure, one, reified, unified, abstract being to the physical, multiplied, diverse, bifurcated world that we see? And unsurprisingly, both mystical traditions come up with similar answers to explain this metaphysical paradox. The way that these metaphysical systems deal with this issue is changing the theological language from one of creation to one of emanation. In Islam, this is called fayyad, where God emanates his being into the being that is reality, which does not necessitate a discontinuity, that creation ex nihilo, something from nothing, which sets a differentiation and a gap between God and reality. In Jewish mysticism, we similarly have a emanationistic cosmology and theology, using the metaphors of light which shines forth from God and ends up manifesting, coagulating, and congealing into reality. I'm not going to get into the various stages and worlds and levels of emanation and manifestation and compare the two, although that has been done and can be done again, but I want to talk about the core principles of emanation that operate in both of these traditions and then move along to our next topic, which I think is the most interesting, which is the process of the human returning to unite with their true being with God.
In Sufism, we speak about tashkik al-wujud, which is the gradation of being. In this system, from the arsh, from the throne, all the way down to the floor, to the farsh, we have levels, gradations of lessening of being, of wujud, as we go down into manifestation. The entirety, the totality of this system is called maratib al-wujud. Similarly, in Jewish mysticism, we have this hierarchical chain of being, which in its totality is called Seder Hishtalshlot, the order of emanations, or the chain of emanations, literally, going as well, similarly, from Adam Kadmon, from the primordial man, who sits upon the Kisei, upon the throne, all the way down to this lowest level of reality, the world which we are manifest in. We are going to skip the actual stages of manifestation, the Tanzlat el-Sata in Sufism and the Olamat of Kabbalah, because we care only about God and God alone. We don't care about Atsilas and Bria and Yitzira and Asiya and Alam al-Yihud and Al-Hud and Wahud. We are going straight to the top, baby. So how does one break out of this limited realm, this lowest level of manifestation seemingly, where wujud, where being, where God is least manifest, apparently, to become united with the divine? This is the great question, and I think this is perhaps the most exciting part of any exploration of comparative metaphysics, of mysticism, in my opinion. And what I found in traditions across the world, and we're going to look just at two here now, Islam and Judaism, is that there's a two-stage process of annihilation, nullification of the self, and leading to a fulfillment, a unification with the divine. In Islam, these two stages are called Fana and Baka, or Fasul and Wasul, and we're going to talk about the differences and the mechanics of that in a second. In Judaism, these can be summarized in the two categories of Bitul and Dvekut. There are many stages and gradations within those two, and we're going to get to that all in a second. This process of separation, of annihilation, of conquering and vanquishing the ego, Fana and Bitul, is a process described poetically by the mystics as learning to die before one dies, i.e. before one's physical lifetime comes to an end and termination with the decaying of the physical body, one should learn to master and die to the false sense of self, the illusion of self, i.e. the ego, the yesh in Jewish mysticism, and the nafs in Sufi thought. The Quran in Surah La Neheman has a verse upon which this idea of fana in Sufism is based. The verse reads, All created things suffer annihilation, and there remains the face of God in its bounty and majesty. Namely, that if we can get rid of all of the aspects of ourselves which are created and seen as extrinsic to God, all that is will be left of the self is simply the majesty and bounty of God as revealed in the self. Likewise, in Jewish mysticism, biblical verses are read in support of this idea. For example, the famous phrase that God says to Moses, Kidlo yireni adam v'chai, that no human, no man can see me and live, read by the Kabbalists to mean that, yes, so long as one holds onto their sense of individual ego, they cannot see the divine within. But once they can let go of that, then they are free to see all that is left, i.e. God. The famous Sufi poet Rumi says, When a man's eye is eliminated from existence, 
what else is left? Then, what remains? I'll give you a clue. It's God. A corollary idea in Sufism is the idea of fossil, which is the parting or the leaving, the separating, which means separating from all worldly attraction and desire. The Sufi idea is even to separate from the idea of separation, because if one believes, yes, I have achieved separation, then right again you've caught on to the ego of the I that achieved separation. So one must negate and then negate the negation itself. Likewise, in Jewish mysticism, we speak about a gradation of nullification of Bitul. Classically, we talk about two stages, Bitul Hayesh and Bitul Bimtziyot, the nullification of the self, the ego, and the nullification of the complete existence of oneself. Without getting into the complexities of comparative religious debates, it can be safely said that these terms, Wassel and Dvekut, correspond to what's known in the Christian and Latin tradition as Unio Mystica. Now, if anyone knows the field, they know that that's a highly contentious statement. So let's leave it at that, and we can perhaps come back to that in a further video and explore whether or not we can precisely compare these ideas and where perhaps the ideas of unity and union between the human and the divine differ between one religion and the next. But safe to say that between Sufism and Jewish mysticism, there is the notion that once one goes through the process of emptying the self and of denying and annihilating the ego, one can come to be reborn after that ego death, to be one, to be in the union and presence and unified with God. It's also important to mention that this is simply from the perspective of the human, from the perspective of truth, from the perspective of God, God is always united with the human and never separate. The Quran in chapter 57 verse 4 says, He is with you wherever you are. And likewise, throughout the Jewish prophets, for example, the prophet Isaiah says, I, God, am with you even in your tough times, even, if, even in your pain and your struggle. So this whole idea of uniting with God is simply that the human should see the true reality that from God's perspective is really united all along. Beyond even these terms of union, there are even stronger terms used in both traditions. In Islam, for example, we have three terms, itisal, itihad, and hulul, union, hnosis, or becoming one, and hulul, perhaps translated even as something like incarnation or embodiment. In Jewish mysticism, we have terms like hitkalilut, hitachdut, to be incorporated into the divine corpus, to be made one with God. And I'm going to put a link in the description in the sources to a great book by Adam Afterman on the languages of Unio Mystica and Jewish mysticism, where he speaks about both of these traditions. Um, but without getting into theological hot water, talking about true union and oneing with God in divine incarnation or manifestation or embodiment, um, I'm going to cap that at there just for now. But more than any theological, cosmological, ontological, metaphysical comparison between these two traditions, what I find reading the literature of both intimately and openly, I find that both of them have this drunk love for God. The prophets, mystics, sages, fakirs of both tradition are just very often caught up in this ecstatic rupture where the things which they say may even sound transgressive theologically. 
in Sufism, for example, the great, more orthodox um, philosopher, Al-Ghazali, often came out speaking against the more verbose mystics, people like Al-Halaj, who got into some very hot water for saying statements like, I'm not Al-Haq, I am the truth, a appellation reserved for God alone. And Al-Ghazali says, these mystics, what do you want from them? They were drunk, they were in love with God. And you see this drunkenness portrayed throughout the mystics, where they want nothing else but God, as we began with. The story is told of the famous Sufi mystic Rabia, who was seen running through the town and carrying in one hand she had a pail of water, in the other hand she had a torch of fire. And once enough of a crowd had gathered around her, they asked her, Rabia, what are you doing? Are you mad? Where are you going? And Rabia said, I've come with the water to put out the fires of Gehenna, of Gehenna of hell, so that no one should serve God out of fear of punishment. And I've come with a torch to burn down Gan Eden, paradise, so that no one should serve God in want, in desire of reward, but they should serve God simply out of their immense love for God. Likewise, the Jewish mystics famously said that they want no angel, they want no revelation, they want no state of paradise if God himself will not be there. All they want is God alone. And this drunkenness that seeps and pervades the mystic to the core of their being, denying all else, all physical, worldly, egoic, spiritual pleasures, simply yearning after God's pure unity and pure presence, the greatest bliss, that hits me harder than all of the metaphysical comparisons. And because of this affinity, the way which one ultimately comes to encounter, to experience, to know God, is not through intellectualization, is not through semantics, but it is through tasting God. In both traditions, Dahauk in Islam, sorry if I mispronounced that, and if I mispronounced all of the Arabic, and in Jewish mysticism we say, Ta'amu re'o kitab Hashem, taste and see that God is good. And it is through this tasting that one comes to Maharifa, to the knowledge, to the gnosis of God, and one comes to the idea, the knowing of God in Jewish mysticism. But it only comes when one bites into the fruit of reality, and one engages with the tradition in its fullest. And that point of entry is likewise shared by both traditions. So, the thousand dollar question is, how did this happen? How did two traditions... Although, yes, there was a lot of points of contact historically, how did they come up with such wildly similar metaphysics? Now, there's basically two approaches taken in the academic study of mysticism and sociology in general. One is a theory of diffusionism, that ideas are spread by contact from one culture to the next. And the other theory is that of independent origination, where each culture discovers it on their own, in isolation. And like with anything, the truth probably lies somewhere between these two. And and I don't want to get into this. I do plan to cover this at greater length when we talk about general trends of mysticism and perennialism and shared ideas. Um, but my feeling is that, yes, we know for a fact that many ideas and many terminologies are shared and are moved and passed along because these traditions, these great thinkers and mystics, were in some sort of symbiotic relationship and in contact, and there is an osmosis from one tradition to the next. And you can read about that in all of the academic, great academic work, which I'll post in the description. However, I think that more fundamentally than that explanation is that there is some sort of discoverable truth to existence, and that is its unified nature. And 
I think that if you leave someone isolated for long enough, for a thousand years on an island, they will come to the same conclusions. And these same conclusions force one, logically, into the same metaphysical paradigms to then explain how one deals with the apparent nature and with this deeper nature which one has discovered. So, beyond the diffusionism and beyond the ideas being passed and influenced and spread, I think these ideas are intrinsic. Now, whether they're intrinsic to the human psyche, or whether they're intrinsic ontologically to the world out there, or whether the distinction between the in there, out there should be done away with, like all good mystical distinctions that we want to do away with, these are all ideas which we will ponder and speculate and explore together as me and you go along this path as a community. Because I think these questions may lead us to some of the deepest secrets about reality and about ourselves. And this work is not being done just between Judaism and Islam. We're going to do this with all traditions, inshallah, with God's help. We're going to do this with Christian mysticism, with Hinduism, with Buddhism, with Baha'i, with Druze, with, with Indian American traditions, with Celtics, with Gnostics, with Alchemists, with the Hermeticists and the Neoplatonists, and the list goes on and on and on. So stay tuned. I hope you love what we're going to do here. Please do share this with as many people as you can possibly afford to without alienating them from your friends lists. Okie dokie, and the exciting channel news I have for you is in celebration of hitting 500 subscribers, we have moved the material across to be available on podcast because a lot of people ask me, hey Zevi, your stuff is really great, but it's also really long, and I don't want to sit and watch a video, can you make it into an audio, can you put it on a podcast, with the great help of my friend, my tech team, my social media team, it's all one person, we have migrated all the material across to podcasts, it should be available very quickly on whatever platform you get your podcast, search Seekers of Unity, we also are available on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, so if you use any of those platforms, Stop using them. But if you're not going to stop using them, go and follow and like and subscribe and share and get the good word out there. Counting on you. Let us make this world a better place together. Or some jazz like that. I want to end with a poem from the 14th century Persian poet Hafiz. Because the first time I heard it, it just tore my heart out and put it back in just with a bit of poetry injected. So I hope it does the same for you. It goes like this. Admit something. Everyone you see, you say to them, love me. Of course, you don't do this out loud or else someone would call the police. Why not instead become the one who lives with a full moon in each eye that is always saying with that sweet moon language what every other eye in the world is dying to hear?